Good morning. Welcome to worship. It is 2018, amen? How many have already messed up writing that down? Yeah, yeah, I think many of us have already. But it is a brand new year, which means great opportunities await us in a new year, right? All kinds of cool things can happen this year, some really awesome stuff. Some of you here today are going to get the job of your dreams. You've always dreamt of having, you're going to get it this year. That's just what's going to happen in a group this size. Some of you are going to get the job you've always wanted. Some of you are going to get a new house. Some of you are going to get the car that you always desired to drive. You know, it's just a new year. That's what happens. Stuff happens. A lot of it is good. I was thinking, you know, there's actually some ladies here who are going to get pregnant this year. Congratulations ahead of time. I may, I just want you to know, I'm not a prophet, but I am the father of a prophet. His name is Elisha. So it could be prophecy I'm speaking here. You know, the reality is every year holds new things because we live in a dynamic world where nothing ever stays static. Everything is always changing. A lot of it's going to be awesome. And some of it won't be. That's the nature of living in this world. We are actually going to go through some very difficult things this year. Some of us are going to lose our jobs. Some of us are going to have some financial reversals. Some of us are going to get a bad health report from the doctor. Some of us are going to potentially lose somebody we care deeply about. Because again, we live in time. We live in a world of change. In fact, I think that there's actually a statement that goes something like this. The only thing that is ultimately consistent is change. But you, I just want you to know that that's not true. Because there's one other thing that is always consistent, and that is the unchanging nature of God. And if you can but anchor your life on the immovable rock, which is Christ, it, when all of these things come, no matter what they may be, you'll be able to weather the storms, and you will do that because of God's unchanging nature. He is love. He is holy. He is good. He is merciful. He is abounding in goodness. And it is that relationship in your life this year that will see you through. That's why we're doing this series on faith. Because faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Faith is ultimately what makes our relationship with the person of God real. Faith is what enables us to hold on to promises, even though we don't know what they are going to look like yet. We know that God has promised, and that makes them real in our experience. So we're going to be doing this series on faith, and we're going to be doing it out of the great faith chapter found in the Word of God. If you have your Bibles... Please join me in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, we're going to be turning there uh, over and over and over again in the weeks to come as we walk through this series together. Uh, if you would like to use the Pew Bible, the worship Bible that's under the chair in front of you, it's page 1007, page 1007. So I'm going to be kicking off this series, and we'll actually be doing this for the next seven weeks as we walk through basically character sketches of various people who were known for their faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes called the Hall of Faith, uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, there's all kinds of really cool titles given to this group of people who happen to reside in this portion of Scripture. You know, the Saints Hall of Fame. You know, as I read through this section and as I look at the lives of these people, I don't see heroes. I really don't. I don't really see famous people. 
Uh, What I see in this section of Scripture are ordinary people. Ordinary, simple people and ordinary, sinful people. But what we witness is each of them put a very faltering, weak trust or faith in an all-powerful, able God. So really, God is the hero of this section, not these people. It is God who enabled them to come through and fulfill uh, his will in and through their lives. So today, we are going to kick this off. And I'll be sharing the responsibilities of the preaching of this series uh, with the elders of the church. So today, we're actually going to consider without what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If that's true, the question that comes from the scripture to our hearts today is simply this. What is faith? What is faith? If it's this important that it ultimately is what pleases God, if it is the currency of the kingdom, if it's ultimately how we live and move and have our being in this world, what is it? Well, we're going to tackle that together. But before we do, I want to invite you to follow along in your Bibles with me as I consider Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse 32. Hebrews 10, 32. Uh, I have 31 there. Ignore that. It's supposed to be 32. And we'll look through 11.6. So here we go. With the Bible open in your lap, you have the word of God. Friends, faith is a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So here we go. The writer of Hebrews says this, I want to recall you to recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had better possessions in a more abiding one. Verse 35, Therefore, in light of these truths, do not throw away your confidence. That word can be the word faith. Do not throw away your faith, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 37, this is a quote from Habakkuk the prophet in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He said this, Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Notice this. Those who shrink back from a life of faith, God has no pleasure in them. But it is, it is faith that brings God pleasure, uh, makes him pleased. So faith's important. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith to the preserving of souls. Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it is the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse 6, let's just skip down there. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek 
him. Going just that far, may God bless the reading of his word again. If you want your faith to grow, you must embed it in the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It says in Romans 10, 17. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we are on the precipice of your word, about ready to jump in, I ask that you would bring it alive for us that you would give us understanding of the situation in which these Hebrew believers were struggling, that maybe it would even parallel where we find ourselves at, and that you can show us the beauty of what you were trying to say to them and encourage us even today with it. Help us to be a people of faith. Help us to please our God that way. Please speak to us, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. So, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to do my best to kind of draw the context into our discussion that will be carried on for weeks to come. And the best way, I think, that I can kind of kick off this section to help you appreciate what was going on in the lives of these Hebrew believers is is with a little comic strip Uh, called Peanuts. How many of you are familiar with Peanuts, or better yet, Charlie Brown? Yeah, not the guy who's in the first service, but yeah, yeah, okay. Charlie Brown. So I thought this captured what was going on in their lives, so give it a look-see and see if you don't agree. So here's Lucy. Psychiatric help, 10 cents. Boys, we could sure use her a lot in our world today, eh? So life, Charlie Brown, is like a deck chair. Like a what? Have you ever been on a cruise ship? Passengers open up their canvas deck chairs so that they can sit in the sun. Now, some people place their chairs facing the rear of the ship so they can see where they have been. Others face their chairs forward so they can see where they are going. On the cruise ship of life, Charlie Brown, which way is your deck chair facing? I've never been able to get one unfolded, is Charlie's story. Maybe you feel a bit like Charlie Brown. I don't know. Maybe, you know, when it comes to this whole thing of the Christian life and faith and walking by faith and trying to to follow God and Jesus, and maybe you're struggling to really kind of get that thing open, to really make sense of it all. Well, a lot of these Jewish believers way back in the first century couldn't get the deck chair of the Christian life open. They just struggled trying to understand it all. But those who were successful in getting it opened chose to set up their deck chairs looking to the past, longing for the good old days, longing for what was, and afraid of what the future held. And so a lot of these Hebrew Christians were really struggling with their faith. And and they were struggling to the point where many of them just wanted to give up. I just want to let it go. I want what was. I want to live like it was in the old days. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you long for what was, the good days. And maybe right now you're in a time of struggle and hardship, and you're wondering if it's worth it to go on. Well, I just want to say that these people can appreciate your struggle, I hope, that we can appreciate their struggle. Because there's some very real circumstances going on in their lives that lend itself to them wanting to give up. And so the first thing I notice is that a lot of these people were being challenged by persecution. They were being challenged by persecution. Notice with me, Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. 
<clears throat> the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who that is, okay? Ultimately, God superintends his word. We don't know who the actual author of Hebrews was. Uh, some people think Paul, it's the wrong stylistic Greek for him. Some people think Luke, but we don't know. But all that to say, we're just going to refer to them as, as the writer as the writer of Hebrews. So the writer of he Hebrews says this, I want you to recall the former days. So I know it's going hard in your life. I know it's difficult. I know there are great challenges to your faith. I want you to pause. And I want you to think back. I want you to think back to when Jesus Christ was made real to you. When you first understood that he was the Messiah, the longed one that you've been looking for for so many years. I want you to recall the former days when after you were enlightened... Now, the word enlightened there in Hebrews has an interesting meaning. It can mean enlightened to be born again, to be saved. Uh, but I also think it can mean to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit, but ultimately to reject and pull back from. If you want more to feed on concerning that, uh, I simply want to encourage you to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. You can compare the enlightenments there, and good luck with that. So, recall the former days when after you were enlightened. So, go back, think it through. And he says, how you endured what? What kind of struggle? No, they had a struggle, but what kind of struggle was it? What, what kind? It got, it got hot and heavy for these people. In fact, it was a hard struggle with sufferings. So the writer of Hebrews is highlighting the reality that these people had gone through a really ch difficult challenge when they came to Christ. You know, it was very common back in those days in an Orthodox Jewish family that when a young man would come home and say to his father, Father, we found the Messiah, and his name is Jesus, and I am now a follower of his. That when a young Jewish boy would come home to an Orthodox Jewish family, it was not uncommon for the father to call the family together, all the oikos, all the extended family together, and to pronounce loudly, this son of mine is now dead to me, and I don't want his name spoken of again in my presence. Often when people came to Christ, it was such an affront to people's past in their former religious state that people were actually written off as, as, as dead, persecuted by their families. So that individual would have been pushed out of his home, never to be able to go home again, never to be able to enjoy his parents again, never to enjoy his siblings again, because he made his choice, and it wasn't with us. He's now one of his. So persecution marked a lot of these early followers of Jesus Christ. It was, a, it was a difficult decision. Do I embrace Christ and give up my family, or do I remain with my family and ignore Christ? That's the decision a lot of people have to make, by the way. Not in America so much, not here today, but in very many other parts of the world, people are still having to make those choices. In fact, uh, the other day I had a friend of mine, her name is Chris Reiner, uh, I went to India with her missions organization twice. And she shared a story with me about a young, uh, formerly Hindu girl in northern India. And uh, this girl heard the message of Jesus Christ and embraced Christ with her life. 
when she went to her parents' home and told her parents, Mom and Dad, I no longer believe the Hindu gods are, are real. I have found the one and true God, the one and only true God. His name is Jesus Christ, and I believe him. Her parents warned her, if you go forward in this faith and be baptized, you will be dead to us. Now, in her circumstance, you need to understand something. In that part of India, no girl gets married unless their parents strike the bargain with the parents of the young man. And by saying that she would be willing to be baptized in Jesus' name and follow Christ with her life, it was like her saying, I will never be married or have children the rest of my life. That's a tough one. Well, as the story goes, and it's a true story, she was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Her family did kick her out, and she has chosen to live this life that Christ has given to her to his glory, even if that never means getting married or having kids. You see, this is a real challenge for a lot of people in our world today. To actually follow Christ actually means that you are not having the best life you can have. It does, but it actually means you're inviting persecution and hardship. You know, that's why in a place like Iran, there's no such thing as easy believism in Iran, you know? In Iran, uh, believe on Jesus Christ and get baptized, and you're going to go to heaven. Oh, yeah, count me in. But the moment you get baptized, you are now persecuted. So people don't easy believe in Iran. And there is no health, wealth, and prosperity gospel in North Korea. It just isn't. People don't come to Jesus for all the bennies. They come to Jesus for who he is, knowing that that is going to cost them greatly in their lives. And that's where these people were at. They were being uh, persecuted by their families. They were also being persecuted by their communities. It says this, sometimes you were being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. The word publicly exposed is the word that we actually get the word theater from. Theater. It literally means to bring upon the stage, to set forth as a spectacle, to expose to contempt. So when you break with tradition in a Jewish community, and you break from that tradition, then all of a sudden you've broken from community, and that community will shun you. So not only were they cut off from their families and their siblings, but they were cut out of their communities and they would lose their jobs and their livelihoods. So it was a real big deal to trust Jesus. It wasn't easy and it wasn't fun. It was a huge cost, God bless you. It was a huge cost to follow him. I know we can't really understand this or appreciate this in the context in which we find ourselves today. But let me ask you this. Would you be here today if you knew that uh, by 2 o'clock this afternoon the police were going to be at your house to arrest you and place you in jail? Would you be here today? Would you be here today if you knew tomorrow your employer was going to call you into their office and they're going to say, we have to let you go because we just can't have your kind here? Would you be here today if that were the case? You see, in much of the world... When people put trust in Christ, it costs them, and it costs them dearly, and it costs them greatly. You know, even though we don't suffer persecution yet because of our faith, uh, I think it's important that we understand that our faith is still meant to cost us 
In fact, it's meant to cost us our very lives, according to Jesus. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life must lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So while we don't get persecuted by our family and our community based upon our profession of faith and following of Jesus, the reality is if we truly follow Jesus, there should be a cost. And the cost is ultimately our lives and what God wants to do with them. This week, uh, John Piper tweeted. Uh, I happened to follow his tweets. He didn't tweet me personally. But John Piper tweeted this. If our Christianity is all comfort and no struggle, all glory and no offense, we have yet to come to Christ. That's powerful. Because there is a cost with the cross. Christ bore it and now he says, follow me. In a lot of lands, that means persecution. So a lot of these new Hebrew believers were struggling with the challenge of persecution. But not only persecution, they were also struggling under the challenge of profession. Perception. Let's get rid of this. Perception. They had a challenge of perception. Notice with me. The writer goes on to say this. Therefore, now, do not throw away your confidence, your faith, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the one coming will come and will not delay. This is a quote from Habakkuk 2. But... My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not, according to the writer of Hebrews, had good standing of belief in these people, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and persevere our souls. So what we have here is a direct quote from Habakkuk, Uh, Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, which basically says, the just shall live by faith. Now, Habakkuk made that statement uh, many, many years into the uh, Older Testament, but it has actually been picked up on by three uh, different New Testament books. It's quoted three different times in the New Testament, each of which specifically focuses in on a different aspect of this statement. But my righteous one, Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, the apostle Paul quotes this statement, but his focus is in on what does it mean to be righteous before God, to be justified before God. So Romans 1.17 picks up on this aspect of it. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 11 picks up on the idea to live by. And so Hebrews talks about, I'm sorry, Galatians talks about living by faith. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, we pick up on this idea of faith. Faith. So one talks about righteousness, or what it means to be righteous. One talks about living by, and this one talks about what faith really means. And then it's illustrated through the lives of a number of Old Testament characters. So we have this statement in this challenge of perception that these people had. Now, what I want you to understand or appreciate is this. These Hebrew Christians have come out of Judaism. And Judaism is a highly developed and well-formed tradition connected to it. 
And so these people grew up understanding that there is a physical temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the very presence of God dwells. If you want to go and see God, you go to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But now they're being told that when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit now indwells every single believer, and we are the habitation of God. You no longer go to the Temple Mount to meet with God. He now came and met with you, and he now abides and lives in you. Whoa. So we don't need the temple anymore. Right, we don't need the temple anymore. But, but what about sacrifices? You know, we would, isn't he cute? Just so cute. So we would take these lambs and we would bring them for sin offerings. Well, what about the lambs? No, you don't need those anymore because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. You no longer need a sacrificial lamb anymore. In fact, the entire sacrificial system has been done away with because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and now there is nothing that can happen beyond what he has already accomplished that has any meaning. So there is no temple, there are no sacrifices, there's no sacrificial system. You don't even need the priesthood anymore because Jesus Christ is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He has ascended to the right hand of God where he ever lives to make intercession for us and we're now believer priests in him. I don't need a priest because I have direct access into the very presence of God. So things are changing. Things are changing, and these people are struggling. So there's, there's no longer any need for a temple. There's no longer any need for sacrifices, no sacrificial system, no more priesthood. In fact, all of the festivals in all of the high holy days, you don't need any of those anymore because they were all merely figments or, or shadows of the substance, which is now Jesus Christ. So they came out of, if you will, a very sensual system. By that I mean it immersed their senses. They could smell the sacrifices. They could hear the bleeding of the lambs. They could, they could um, touch uh, things and they could go to a place. And all of that they could taste and hear and smell and touch. But all of that is gone. And today, the substance of it all is Jesus Christ. And the way in which you Walk with him and please him is now simply and solely on the basis of faith. And I think they were really wrestling with this. All that I've ever known was all of the traditions. And now you're telling me that they were nothing more than shadows. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of good things to come, not good things themselves. This is hard. What was tactile is actually a shadow, but what requires faith is really the substance. That's hard. That's really hard. What I could taste and smell and touch and hear and see was, was a shadow of which the substance by faith is Jesus Christ. And I think they really wrestled with this. But that seems so real. That's real. Of which that is nothing more than just a shadow. So what's physical is not eternal. But what's eternal 
is ultimately physical. That's a challenge. That's a real challenge. These people were really being challenged in their faith to, to understand and to grasp and, and make way forward with these things. And so I think the writer of Hebrews anticipated this challenge in them. You say, why is that, Pastor Bill? Because that's the reason Hebrews chapter 11 exists. To explain to us what faith really looks like and is. And so in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, what is faith? Faith is, now read it with me, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There you go. It's that simple, right? Explain that to me, would you? So they were giving up a very tactile, religious, traditional system for this. And they were struggling. Maybe you struggle, too, with this concept of faith and how it works and what it means and how you employ it in your life in a day-to-day way. They sure did. They sure did. And this, this is not a definition, per se. This is more a description of the nature of faith. And what we have here is the writer of Hebrews uses uh, a poetic uh, um, device called parallelism, which basically means you give a a phrase and you basically give almost an identical phrase to substantiate it. So each of these basically says about the same thing and each is meant to reinforce the other. So let me kind of walk through this a little bit with you to see if we can bring some kind of... um, physicalness to this in a a sense of understanding to it. So, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, this is faith. This is faith. Now, faith as the assurance. The New English translation uses this word, this uh, phrase, being sure. The being sure of things hoped for, that's what faith is. The NIV uses the word confidence. Faith is the confidence of things that are hoped for. The New King James actually goes further. He says, and um, he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The CSB, which is the Christian Standard Bible, says it is the reality of things hoped for. So it's kind of a conviction that actually makes what is hoped for substantial. It is a conviction that what makes that which is hoped for actually reality in my present experience. That's kind of weird. It's kind of nebulous. It's kind of ethereal. Somebody defined it this way. Faith is the present essence of a future reality. Cool, right? What does that even mean? Now, assurance is the word hypostasis. Hypostasis in the original language. It refers to a foundation upon which something stands firm. Faith gives substance and reality to that which is yet future and hoped for. Now, we actually have a secular counterpart to this statement that plays out in our world. Uh, We have this group of people who tend to lead industry or, or be great leaders, and they're referred to as visionaries. You familiar with the term visionaries? Visionaries are those people who can see something that is in the future that not everybody else can see, but it is so real and so tangible and so 
palatable to these people that they actually strive for in spite of their peers laughing at them, saying, that'll never happen. What are you even doing? You dreamer, you. But it's so real to some of these visionaries that they pursue it, and then they make everybody else eat crow. Because what they saw, they now bring into reality in the present. These are visionaries. These are people who tend to operate by, by gut, people who tend to operate uh, out of intuition. Perhaps one of the greatest visionaries, a man who seems to encapsulate this, is a man by the name of Steve Jobs. Remember him? He has been in eternity for a while now. I have no idea where. I won't go there. But uh, this man envisioned something like this. It's an it's iPhone. <laughs> I'm sorry. He envisioned the iPhone. In his mind, in the future, he could see a day where everyone would carry around basically a personal computer in their hand, and they would guide their lives with it. They would depend on it for their livelihoods, and everybody would own one. And you know what his peers said? <laughs> You're foolish. That's Star Trek stuff. That's the communicator that, that uh, what's his name, used right in Star Trek. But he saw it. And he was going after it, and everybody mocked him. That ain't going to happen. In fact, did you know Steve Jobs was actually fired from Apple? Early on in his, his, his time there with Apple, he created the Mac, and, and all that was going well. Finally, the board of directors fired him. While he was off on this hiatus, they rehired him later. While he was off on this hiatus, this, this man, such a visionary, started something called Pixar Animation Studios in his spare time. Do you know what that is? Yeah, he did this. He could see it. And he made it reality. Well, eventually, Apple rehired him, and as they say, the rest is history. Because today, what he saw is now a reality in all of our lives. These are visionary people. These are people who can see the future as tangible and as real as if it were already present, and they will strive against incredible odds to make it a reality. And so Steve Jobs encouraged the whole world to start thinking differently. In fact, he had this to say about how people tend to think. He said, I trust, this is his way of living, I trust that the dots of the past will somehow connect into my future. So he would go back, analyze his past, and see where it's kind of leading the future. That's how we tend to make his judgments in life. He said, you have to trust in something. Is it your God? Maybe your destiny, your life, karma, whatever it is. We all trust in something. And so here we have a powerful visionary leader who could see the future as if it were already present, and he lived his life accordingly, and today we're all the beneficiaries of that kind of vision. That's faith. That's faith. You say, that's great. I get an iPhone or an Android. I thank you, Steve, uh, for this blessing, but I'm not a visionary. I'm not I don't have an intuition. I'm not like that. So what do I do? How how do I live by faith if I can't see the future like you're talking about and hope to make it real in the present? I actually happen to be a legacy person. I live in the past. If I have to live in the present, I do, but I live back here in the past. Some of you are like that, right? So what do I do? Well, um, the good part is this. The good part is this. The assurance of things hoped for has nothing to do with human intuition, but rather it is based on divine revelation. 
You see, the future has already been revealed for you. Everything you need to know about faith and godliness has already been given to you in the word of God. That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The people of God know the word of God and we can see the future. Somebody one time said this, you can put a Christian in a dungeon with a Bible and a candle and they can tell you more of what's going on in the world than all the prognosticators. It's true. We know what's going on in our world and it's revealed here. We understand where everything's heading because it's revealed here. We understand the, the spiritual realities that lie on the other side of this veil called the physical world because it's revealed in here. So I'm not asking you to be a visionary. I'm asking you to be a Bible reader. I'm not asking you to have intuition. I'm asking you to take some time and read the scriptures. As you read the scriptures, faith comes. And you can then begin to stake your life on it and live out of it. Which, by the way, is what the conviction of things not seen means. Again, part of Hebrew parallelism is you get a, a basic phrase, and then it's reiterated or, or substantiated or carried a little bit further with the next phrase. So the writer reiterates the phrase, and he says that the conviction of things not seen, again, this is the same basic truth, but it takes things just a little further in that it, it implies a response an outward manifestation of the inward assurance or the reality, the substance, the constance of being sure of what God has revealed. The person of faith lives out their lives based on the assurance of things hoped for. The true believer is committed to living out what, he, what his mind and spirit are convinced are true even though they haven't fully seen them yet. Let me give you a definition for faith. And this will be the easiest definition you'll ever have. You don't even have to write it down. You'll remember it. Warren Wiersbe. Wonderful Bible expositor. I love Warren Wiersbe. He's very good at taking very complex things and making them very easy. Uh, he basically said this. Faith is what? Bingo. There's no other way to please God. There's no other way to please God than to take him seriously at his word and obey it. That's what pleases God. Because then you prove to him and to yourself that he really exists. And that pleases him. Faith is obeying God. Faith is obeying God. In spite of feelings. That doesn't mean feelings aren't real. It doesn't mean that they don't hurt. But faith says, I I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust him in spite of how I feel about this situation right now. Faith says, I'm going to believe and do what God wants me to do in spite of the circumstances I find myself in. Faith is obeying God in spite of the consequences that may come from doing so. This is what that young girl in India did. She knew the consequences potentially in her life was she would never marry or have kids. And yet in spite of those consequences, she believed God. And followed him in obedience. This is faith. Faith is taking God at his word. And we have been given his word through the word of God. I wish it were more sexy than that, you know? It isn't. In fact, it's that simple. It's that hard. It's that hard. So, kind of as we wrap up this morning, um, 
Where are you at with your deck chair? Where are you at with your deck chair called the Christian life? Where are you at with your walk of faith? Are you still really, really struggling to get it open? Can I just say that when it comes to getting the deck chair of the Christian life open, it has nothing to do with your strength. I don't care how strong you are, you can't open it. It has nothing to do with your intellect. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care if you read the instructions. (laughs) You can't open it. Uh, It has nothing to do with your financial ability. It has nothing to do with your looks. Opening the deck chair of life requires simply this. Repentance and faith. It's a gift given by God to those who come to him in repentance and faith. That's how you get the chair open. Now, maybe you have yet to open it. That's where you begin. For those of us who have opened the deck chair, let me ask you, have you set it up to look to the back, back to the past? Are you living on the faith of old? Are you living in the good old days? Are you living off the stuff that you did years and years ago? We had such a good time when we did this, and we need to do that again. We, are, are you living in the past? That doesn't benefit anybody. You need to take the deck chair of faith, bring it around, pitch it toward the future and the word of God, and say, I see a day coming where all people will have to stand before Christ. I see a day coming where my neighbors who don't know Christ will be judged. I see a day coming where my life must be given an accounting of. I see a day coming where the kingdom comes to earth. I see a day coming of a new heavens and new earth. That's by living by faith, looking forward. That becomes substance, and it becomes real in our experience by faith. By faith. I'll just do this one, and then uh, we will pray. There are some encouragements that the writer of Hebrews gives to the people in that day that I think that we can uh, take and use today. Uh, One of the encouragements is to watch the lives of the people of God. He says this in Hebrews uh, chapter chapter 11 and verse 2, For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. A commendation is to be praised. These people in the Older Testament were praised based upon their faith in an all-faithful God. Not that they were anything special, but God was. And so we're actually going to be looking at these people in the weeks to come. Uh, Next week, Jack Sup is actually going to be taking us through creation and how by faith we believe that God created what is seen uh, out of that which is unseen through the word of God. Uh, In a couple of weeks, I'm going to do the faith of Abel, and we're going to talk about the worship of faith. And then we're going to be looking at the faith of Enoch, the walk of faith. We're going to be looking at the faith of Noah, the witness of faith. We're going to be looking at the faith of Abraham and the wonder of faith. Again, at Abraham, as he offers up Isaac at the woe of faith. The the faith of Moses, we're going to look at as the wisdom of faith. And then we're going to do a wrap-up of faith as we look at the final characters there.
And it's interesting, verse 39 concludes, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised in this life. But it begins with commendation, and it ends with a commendation, and so they're like bookends on these character studies of biblical people and how they lived out their lives by faith, all of which we can learn from, all of which we can learn from. I just want to give you a device that I hope you would take advantage of and one that I have found to be a personal blessing in my walk with God. Over this last year, I I signed up for something at a place called Christian History Institute. Christian History Institute. It's up in Pennsylvania. And it is simply called Today in History. And so if you go to christianhistoryinstitute.org slash today, you can subscribe to these. 4.04 a.m. every day. I get an email, and it tells me that in this day in history, uh, so-and-so did this for the glory of God. So this morning, uh, I learned about a woman by the name of Marcrina. Marcrina. It says, Marcrina and her husband, whose name we simply don't know, were Christians at Neo-Caesarea, at a time when the Roman Empire still persecuted those who practiced faith. Around A.D. 311, that's how old this goes, during one of these many persecutions, this couple fled into the forest of Pontius to escape from imperial soldiers. For seven years, they lived exposed to the cold and hunger, eating roots and wild plants. It shows their faith. They later came back to society, discovered everything they owned had been taken away. She ended up having a son who ended up having ten children, three of whom went on to become foundation stones in the early church's life. Because these people were people who trusted God. God blessed them and used them to bless generations to come. Every morning, I get stories like this, and it goes all the way up to present. I mean, it'll tell you what happened uh, in 2003. So all kinds of stories of people of faith who believed God did things by his grace in their lives and in their world. And every one of these challenges me every morning to be a person of faith. So I want to encourage you to sign up for this, to make this a part of maybe your daily quiet time, your daily regime of meeting with God, and let these stories from history enrich your life. I think I've done enough talking. I think think, uh, I've gotten us off to a start. Faith is... Obeying God. Faith is obeying God through the word of God. It's that simple. It's that hard. Let me pray for us. Father, perhaps today there are folks who are wrestling in themselves because of some things going on in their lives, some circumstances, maybe some consequence. And I pray that perhaps today's understanding of faith and the challenge of hard times and and, and just the ethereal nature of something like faith rather than all this physical stuff. Father, I pray the gift of faith upon each of us. I ask that the Spirit of God would help us to have faith and then nurture and grow that faith in our lives. This is the medium of the kingdom of God. This is the currency of heaven. 
And it is by this you are pleased because we take you seriously in our lives. Help us to grasp it by your grace. Help us to live it by your grace. And help us to praise you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, come back next week as we get going in this series.